Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Full Tank with Phil podcast, the first ever podcast about gambling on NASCAR. And on this week's episode, we're taking a look back at St. Louis. We said, meet me in St. Louis. Well, uh, we came, we saw, we didn't conquer, but we made out okay going to Gateway. So we'll recap that race and how our bets made out. And then we will look ahead to the race that's coming up this Sunday. We're back into road course season and it, Sonoma is where we're headed, wine country, Napa Valley, a lot of good stuff there, good conversations to have for this week's episode, and a little bit different, you know, normally I kind of have things a little segmented, not this week, and I'll explain why in a bit, and then at the end, I've got a Phil's Fired Up section to cap things off, it's related to the Live Golf PGA Tour drama that just went down yesterday, and I am going to relate it to NASCAR at the start and the end of my rant, but I just got to get some things off my chest because I was right about something, and we're going to make sure I'm calling that out and then making another prediction at the end of the rant. So a lot of of, um, opinions coming your way at the end of the episode. But let's take a look first at Gateway, like we said, going to St. Louis. And by most accounts, this race was uh, pretty shitty, pretty boring, brutal race from what Twitter was saying and just by talking with folks what they thought. Pretty boring race. Um, And I don't know how much of it has to do with the fact that Kyle Busch got it done because uh, there's definitely a lot of people out there that don't like him, but I don't think this really played a factor into it. It was a race where there wasn't much passing whatsoever. Kyle Busch had to face a number of different restarts towards the end, and he survived all of them. So on one hand, you could say, hey, good for the eight team, you know, being able to get that done. On the other hand, you could say that just proves the point that this track is just not great. Uh, The tire combination for this track, not great. You know, tire wear was not what we needed and just didn't produce good racing overall. So that seems to be what the general gist is from NASCAR fandom out there. So, uh, yeah, it's a shame that they are going and they're trying something new and it just really doesn't seem like it's working at that track. Uh, We did have some more weirdness. We had Austin Dillon and Austin Sendrick, the two Austins, getting into it there and there was some drama you know, did he turn him on purpose? Did he not? SMT data again. That seems like it's going to be the thing now when there's a wreck. They're just going to go right to the uh, data to try to say, hey, look, here it is. You know, Denny has started something and it's not going to stop. Um, we're getting further and further away from Dale Sr.'s NASCAR every week. Um, that's a bit of a shame, too. I kind of just wish the SMD data wasn't SMT data wasn't. Uh, readily available like this for people to break down but it is what it is we got to adapt and play into the conversation there were podcasts this week door bumper clear they were talking about it in a way and you know really trying to paint a picture about austin Cindric. Cindric responds via his twitter and instagram so uh basically saying hey my character is being called into question here the the data actually doesn't speak to this it's just you know real housewives in nascar at this point and um not a fan of that part of it but 
uh, we'll see, you know, as far as the on-track stuff, that's what I'm really interested in, you know, how they treat each other on track. Then we had a pit road injury at one point, uh, again, involving Austin Dillon. I think it was Eric Jones's pit crew. Dillon ran a guy over, got sent to the hospital in an ambulance. So just really weird, weird stuff at Gateway. Um, now, as far as the bets were concerned, we did not have any outrights. We did not call out Kyle Busch to win the race. We were on Ryan Blaney 12 to 1. So when things started to shake out during the race, that ended up being the bet that I was cheering most for 12 to 1 because he was going off at 7 to 1 on race day. So that was a good pick. Just didn't pan out the way we thought. We hit Kevin Harvick top 10. We hit uh, Eric Jones over Stenhouse. But the funny thing is about the head to heads. All right. The, the one that really should have hit was Carson Hosevar over Noah Gregson. Hosevar was better in practice, better in the race, was running really well, and Gregson was not. But Hosevar just hit a wall, wrecked the car, and finished dead last. Uh, so that bet, even though it should have won, lost. Meanwhile, we had Jones losing. Now, we had him plus money. He was plus 100 when we talked about it. He was plus 125 or even more than that on race day over Stenhouse. And Senhouse had another good run going until he got himself caught up in some garbage. Uh, so that really was good for us because it kind of washed the one that didn't work out. And then the one that I was really happy about going into it was Eric Amarola over Chris Busher. And Busher was a little bit up and down, but for the most part, he was a few spots ahead of Amarola for most of the day. Amarola was really hovering around like 17th to 22nd. And Busher's average running position was definitely better than that. So we lost that bet straight up. Um, no getting around that. Now, other bets that we called out that didn't hit. Top 10 for Brad. That was a tough one to swallow. He had some trouble uh, heading into that race from practice. He had to start dead last. Um, and, you know, ran into trouble as soon as the race started. But he just kept fighting, and they called him out on the broadcast. Like, they easily could have packed it up and went home, but instead he gains, you know, seven or eight spots. And who knows if those points will come into play. But it did not help us for a top ten. We called out Harvick for a top five. He was flirting with it for a lot of the race, but um, didn't pull it out. Ends up luckily hitting that top ten for us. So that kind of saved us there. But here's the thing. We talk about how we call these bets out earlier in the week. And we're trying to do our due diligence, making bets that make sense. But you also can't just rely on that, right? We say it every week. Got to look, practice. Got to look at qualifying. And we added three bets to the card we put out there on Instagram. And all three of them hit. Talked about Kyle Busch on the NASCAR betting preview show with Ryan Stevens of win the race. He liked him to win the race. And sure enough, he hit. So great hit by him. I was a little too skittish to pull the trigger on the seven to one, but I took him top 10 or excuse me, top five at plus money. It was plus 125. That hit Logano had a great practice, great qualifying run plus 140 for a top five for Logano that hit. And then we saw Michael McDowell plus 325 for a top 10. He looked good in practice and decent in qualifying. And we hit that. And that number was uh fantastic for us. So the, the live ads, we went three for three, not live ads, the, Weekend ads went three for three, so that really helped us out there. Um, the other funny thing, just to add, was we had our daughter's dance recital. It was like dance weekend for every single person that I know that has a daughter. Uh, every dance club in America, or at least in Philadelphia region, had a recital this weekend. Well, so did we. 
It was our daughter's first and hadn't been there before, so I threw a poll out there on Twitter. Is it acceptable to have an AirPod in your ear, just one, low volume, to listen to the race while you're watching the recital? Because, you know, when you have one of these things, our daughter's in one act, okay? There's 34 acts. It was over three hours long. Are you kidding me? I was looking at the program. It was like 24 acts. I was like... Then it starts act two. I was like, wait, there's a second whole act? There's an intermission in this thing? you got to be kidding me. So uh, the Twitter poll, you goddamn degenerates, if you voted, you all said, it was like 77% said yes, throw the the AirPod in there. And that made me laugh big time. Uh, Just really funny stuff. Now, luckily, I didn't need to use it because there was lightning out there in St. Louis, and that delayed the race by quite a bit. So it was just starting as the recital was ending. So I didn't have to be that guy. But uh, I was just very amused by the results of that poll. So props to you if you voted in that. And um, <laughs> you said to throw the AirPod in and, uh, you know, forget about everybody else's kid performing out there. So very funny stuff. So Gateway, bit of a brutal snooze fest there. Like we said, came out on the right side of things overall. But um, definitely some bets that we missed out on um, that probably should have hit. So Look ahead. All right, let's let's switch gears. We're going to go to Sonoma. This is an OG road course, baby. This is wine country weekend. Um, and, and just, I don't usually talk this much about my uh, family and such, but I am becoming godfather this weekend. My, my sister's son, Will, is uh, getting baptized on Sunday, and, and I'm the godfather. I've got a bottle of wine that they gave me that said, you know, becoming a godfather. So it's a wine weekend for me, man. We'll be drinking wine Saturday night. We'll be drinking wine Sunday for the baptism and the race. So um, I'm ready for it for sure. So looking at last year's race, Daniel Suarez was your winner. And I wouldn't really call it a wonky winner, but this was somebody that, you know, was further deeper in the odds list and kind of Stole some track position because it was very tough to pass, and he was able to retain that track position and, you know, go on to win the race. Now, you know, a little bit off-the-board play, right? So, big hit for a lot of guys out there who took him. I did not take Daniel Suarez at Sonoma last year, Um, and the thing about it was there was only four cautions, two of them which were stage breaks we don't have stage breaks this year so we were kind of just having this conversation a second ago in the nascar betting preview show i recorded that right before now and there is without a doubt i mean two cautions last year for cause there's without a doubt a chance that we have a situation without a lot of passing there's going to need to be some big time strategy plays from guys in this race because Daniel Suarez wouldn't have won this race last year if it wasn't for strategy plays and some guys getting into some trouble. So track position meant everything. Um, the race started with Larson and Chase up front, uh, as everyone expected, right? Going into that race, that's what we thought. It's going to be those two guys duking it out. And on the first turn, that's what we saw, both of which had issues. We saw Chase Elliott they called a loose tire as he's pulling out of his pit stall and he backs up. And all he had to do was just back up further they could have just waved him back a little bit more but instead they change his tire while he's hanging over his pit stall so that's a uh, penalty 
And uh, then we had Larson lose a wheel on the racetrack. We know that's a big time no-no. Um, so, you know, even Reddick had some trouble as well. So the fact is, like, even though these guys were, were bad fast and Chase was able to recover, um, he recovered for a top 10 after serving that penalty. We still saw some of our leaders, you know, running into issues that were definitely preventable. So will that happen again? I don't know, right? Because the race started very predictably and the the stuff that was very much in their control went haywire. So that is something that we, you know, need to keep our eyes on. And we'll talk, you know, if you say that that won't happen, right, and things will be predictable, then you're looking at chalk and you're looking at some of the guys, you know, who are the, you know, regular names at road courses. But if you do think that some of the wonkiness could take place again, now you're starting to look further down the list. So we'll, we'll talk about our strategy here in just a bit. But uh, we'll, we'll get to some track stats here. They've been here 33 races, six times the winner has started on the pole. The last time it happened was Kyle Larson in 2021. In the top five, the winner has started there just over 50% of the time, 53%. And in the top 10, the winner has started there 73% of the time. Daniel Suarez started eighth last year, for example. So Outside of the top 20, the winners only started there two times. And the last time it happened was Kyle Busch in 2008. And just to kind of put a emphasis on what we were just saying, if you're starting outside of the top 20, there is no chance you're winning this race on Sunday, right? Because track position means everything. There's no stage breaks to bail you out. No predetermined strategy. You're going to have to make the call on the track in order to gain spots um, so do something different, take a two pit strategy instead of a three and, you know, hope that it works out for the best, you know, see if it does go caution free other than that. So that's a, a real problem if you're starting outside of the top 20. So qualifying is a pretty big deal. It kind of feels like F1 a little bit here. Uh, manufacturer trends. Toyota has won five of the last 10 races, but Chevy, as we know, they've been damn good on these road courses as of late. Uh, they've won back-to-back -back races at Sonoma, so definitely worth calling out. That was Suarez and Larson. And the thing about Ford is, and I find this funny to say because we're going to talk about a bunch of different Ford drivers, but not necessarily for the win, Ford has two wins in the last, like, million years, right? To find the last, the, the third time in history, Ford has won during that time span. Dodge has three wins. Like that's just how far it's been since Ford has won three races at Sonoma. Now they only come here once a year. So uh, it might be a little bit more stretched out than some of these other tracks, but still, I mean, come on, we're going back to like 20, 2002, essentially. Um, so wild stuff there, wild stat, but uh, that isn't the end all be all. Right, because that's just because they're not winning the races doesn't mean they're not strong as a whole on the track for other types of bets, which is what we're going to talk about a lot here in just a second. So the data set that we're looking at, I'm looking at Sonoma pretty hard here. I mean, the last four races at Sonoma is a stretch that I think makes sense because that way you're going back to let's see, 2018, I believe. Uh, so 2021, 2022, they skipped 2020. And then we had 19 and 18. So uh, those four races are important. And, you know, last year's races, the, the 
Gen 7 car is very important as well. We've got Coda to look at this year. I know that's a hot topic, it seems like, uh, but we've got that loop data. The 2022 season uh, as a whole is, is just very important because that's when they've been driving this new style car, this next-gen car, and we want to really keep that in mind. So you're going to hear me call out last seven races in that vehicle. Win the race, we'll touch on, you know, their pre-ranks, which is always very important to us. So there's a lot of different things you could focus on. Now, I'll probably talk about this in a little bit, but I think Sonoma being that OG racetrack for road courses, it's experience drivers seem to be drivers that you can trust more, right? Even if you're a kick-ass driver, it seems like those younger guys who haven't had that experience, because Xfinity doesn't come here, those drivers just... I don't know, for whatever reason, it takes them a little bit. There's a learning curve at this racetrack, and I don't really understand it. So we'll uh, have to call that out when we see it during some of these bets. And uh, we also just talked about how there's a lot of cup guys dropping down to the Xfinity race. Xfinity's never been here to Sonoma. We've got extra track time for the cup guys. So um, is somebody performing you know, crazy well going to get my attention to throw like a, a blind bet down on them? No. But I think the overall concept here is if you can get more track time, get more experience doing what you're going to be doing the next day, uh, it, it definitely is a bit of a leg up because you're seeing more of the track. So keep that in mind, I guess. Keep your eyes peeled on some of those drivers and how they're doing on Saturday, and we'll see how that translates. So the vibe that I have this week you know, it's, it's a little bit different because the favorites that we have towards the top of the board, it's Larson, it's Elliott, and it's Reddick. They're both, or excuse me, they're all five to one to win this race, super heavy. They're pulling the odds down and, and making some of these other drivers way more inflated because there's three of them that are the big dogs now on the road courses. The funny thing is there's only, and I pulled this story from Jordan McAbee on Fantasy Racing Online. Um, he tweeted this out, three top fives between the three of them in 16 career races. One of them was a win from Larson. But if you're just throwing all your eggs in their basket, clearly it's not necessarily a done deal, right? Now, having no stage breaks uh, will definitely play a factor in that because if you're good, you're going to be good uh, unless something, you know, an act of God happens or an act of yourselves as screwing it up on pit road. So for me, looking into it this week, I typically try to keep things kind of segmented, right? We go to the outrights, then we go to the finishing position, and then head-to-head. -head. I like that. You know, I think it gives people the ability to skip through certain segments if they like those better. This week, you know, I'm doing things a little bit differently. Uh, it's just a different look and feel for me this week because I can't find any outrights that, like, absolutely want to throw my stamp of approval on and, and just really go all in and, and bet those right now. So what I'm doing this week is just focusing on driver. It's a driver-centric, driver-focused episode this week. And we'll talk about a driver, why I like them, and then the bets that stand out to me around them. And then we'll get into some of the, the proppy bets later. But um, if we do touch on a guy and, you know, I like maybe the, the value for him outright, I'll talk about that as well. But a little bit different this week than we've done it in the past. So if you like it, let me know. Maybe we'll, we'll do a little bit more. But it, to me, the reason I'm doing this is more so the board and, and the stats and what I'm seeing and not being able to kind of formulate, you know, a, a structured uh, card, like three outrights, three finishing positions like I usually do. So we're going to start with Austin Cendrick. OK, and, and I did mention Ford has struggled here to win the race, but 
I like a lot of these four drivers to finish in certain positions here. So Austin Sindrick, he's coming off of this weird week where he got into it with Austin Dillon. People are trying to just come at him left and right from the rafters, and he's kind of had to defend himself. And looking at the season, the two cars been essentially a non-factor. I mean, a complete non-factor. Uh, at Coda, though, he was pretty decent. He started third and finished sixth. So that's pretty good. And, you know, in a race season where he's been out to lunch a little bit, I enjoy when I see people hitting their strengths the way you think they should be. And so that's a, a road course. You immediately got to look at Austin Cindric. What did he do? He finished sixth. So good stuff there. He's only got one start at Sonoma. And I mentioned how it's been tough on some of these young guys who have struggled in their starts at Sonoma, not getting that Xfinity Series time. But Cindric went out last year in his first start. He started 25th and finished fifth, took advantage of some of the stage breaks and moved his way through the field. And, you know, really towards the end of that race was moving up. Um, he was one of the most consistent drivers in NASCAR in the last seven races, right? So we talked on the six races last year, the next-gen car, and then Coda this year. So that's that set of seven races that we're talking about here. And he's got two top five finishes and five top 10 finishes, six top 15 finishes, third in average finish in that time span, 8.5, fifth in driver rating. He makes a lot of sense to me, okay? And I'm going to keep referring to Suarez last year because while he's not necessarily a wonky winner, like Trackhouse did win Coda last year, so then they go out and they win Sonoma. It was like, okay, Trackhouse has something here. Um I feel like he was somebody that was like not on my radar, but when he won, said, yeah, okay, I can understand that. This is somebody that I would put in that same box. There's a few drivers that we're going to talk about that I would throw in that same box. He's plus 1,800 to win the race outright, okay? I think that might be a bit of a stretch, right, to have him go out and win the race. Would I be shocked? No, because this is his strength, road courses. He just needs to develop that muscle in the Cup Series, uh, is is my opinion here. And the reason why I'm a little skittish as to the outright price is, even though 18-1 to 1 for a really good road course racer sounds good, he doesn't lead a lot of laps. Like, he's been very good at getting the finishes, um, 6 of 7 in the top 15. That's damn good uh, compared to some of these other guys. But he just hasn't been out front a lot. So that's tough. And at a track where we're going to see probably the Hendrick guys leading and qualifying, you know, it might be tough for him to actually overtake them, take the lead and, and run away with it. So uh, I am liking some other bets here for Austin Cendrick because, you know, he fits the bill of that Monday morning quarterback thing where if he goes out and performs really well, it's like, yeah, no shit, right? That, of course that pick works. I'm looking at minus 125 for a top 10. I absolutely love that. He's done it five times in seven races. He finished fifth here last year. Minus 125 for Austin Shindrick top 10 makes a ton of sense to me. Just really good. In the last 10% of the races on road courses. This is a stat that I throw out every now and then. Okay, so we're looking at the last 10% of all seven races in the next-gen car. Who's gaining positions during that time and who's fading? The stat's a little bit skewed because some of the back markers are towards the top of that list for various reasons that we won't touch on. But you got to look at some of the bigger name guys in these sections. 
and Austin Cindric is fourth in that category, really the first real name of uh, competition, he's f- gaining 4.3 spots. That's really, really good on road courses to be doing that late in the race. So that's impressive. And the other bet that I absolutely love, I held off on the NASCAR betting preview show on talking about my favorite outright, or excuse me, my favorite head-to-head matchup. I ended up throwing out Blaney versus Bell, took Blaney minus 115. I stand by that pick. If you want to hear the reason why, go listen to that show. But Blaney over Bell, it's a little freebie here right now. You don't have to hear me listen and, and talk about it. But I held off because I really like Cindric over AJ in this race. And sure enough, Brian was our guest this week, and you know he threw that one out there. So love that somebody else was on this because Cindric has been so consistent. And he's minus 105. He's the underdog. This is on DraftKings. And AJ, he's a great road course racer, man. I mean, of course, right? He's His road course prowess is one of the reasons why I threw like a dollar or two on him winning the championship. Because I figured he was going to win a race or two on road courses, be in the playoffs, and then have a good car. His car, his team just has not been what I thought it would be so far this year. And then you compound that. With the fact that he's got only two starts here. So we go into that lack of experience at Sonoma. He's been down in the Xfinity Series for a while now. In his two starts in the last four races, that time span, started twice. His average finish is 28.5. Gross. And it's not like, oh, well, you know, he's bad off the truck. No. Off the truck, he's 10.8. That's his average starting position. He's fading in these races. He's not getting it done. He's spinning out or whatever the case. Not good and you say to yourself well phil that's just sonoma like come on it's aj allmendinger he's a stud he's the road course guy right one of them he's little aj well austin cindric in the last seven races against aj allmendinger head-to-head is five and two head-to-head in the next gen car that to me is all i need to see um and ford you know that concerns me a little bit but to me it's a, a driver that I think is going to qualify really well. He's plus 1,200 to win the poll. We're going to talk about the poll bet later on. But, you know, if you want some value, he's a, a driver that you might be able to get some value on a poll bet. But top 10 minus 125, I love. And I really, really like minus 105 over A.J. Allmendinger. So that's my Austin Cendrick spiel this week. Now, the next driver I'm going to talk about, I did throw this out there on the NASCAR betting preview show. It's top 10 for Chris Busher, I feel like he's pretty trendy this week because people are looking at what he did last year and anybody that sniffs the stats a little bit are going to see that, you know, he's uh, someone that is a force. He's a force to be reckoned with here, and it's not a fluke, okay? He kind of blew up our spot a little bit last year. We were we were on him um, the year before, you know, sneaking in some head-to-heads and top 10s. And uh, now his performance at Sonoma definitely has people's attention. So, you know, we're going to continue to try to ride this wave until it crashes. But, you know, he started third, finished second. Strong performance in practice and qualifying. Gets out there and gets it done. He was first in total speed. And he got faster as the race went on. Obviously, track position plays a, a little bit of a factor in there. But he was strong. A very strong, another Ford driver that was able to go ahead and get it done. His best Sonoma finish was last year. It was that second place finish by far. But he was four for four 
in top 20s at Sonoma in the last four races. So the piece of information that I'm trying to call out from that is, hey, it's, it's tough to get good finishes on road courses, and he's consistently been in the top 20 four out of four times at this track. Now, you look at the next-gen car. He's got one top five, which was here, and six top 10 finishes. There's only one other driver in NASCAR that has that stat, and it is Tyler Reddick, who is the current favorite to win the fucking race. So he's a sleeper, man. I mean, you know, maybe a top five. This is a guy that qualifying is going to mean a lot because of the no stage break situation. But if he can qualify in that top 10, I'm going to love this pick. Minus 106 for a top 10. Smashed it. Maybe a little sprinkle on a 2200. I would like to see maybe a little longer for him on an outright. uh, Just because I don't think he's going to be able to, you know, qualify as good again. But, hey, I've been searching for a head-to-head against him uh, that I would like to take. But I just have not been able to find anybody worthwhile so he's actually up against Sindrick in one of them and that one you know i don't want to touch but he's a he's a force top 10 win the race rankings he's eighth so that puts him squarely where we need to be so chris busher i don't know is that trendy is that a trendy pick people people on that i don't know haven't heard his name very much even though um i think as we get closer to the weekend they're going to be talking about him on the broadcast for what he did last year and his road course ability so let's do it man let's go out and get it you serious, Clark? Now, you kind of get the sense of what I was saying earlier where, you know, I'm not necessarily loving any outright picks, but this is a, a race where I'm lo- really liking the top 10s more than anything else. And I'm going to stick with that in another Ford driver, and it's Kevin Harvick. I mean, he's just been sneaky consistent on road courses. I don't think anybody really thinks of him when we go to these road courses and says like, yes, need to slam Harvick. We're going to road course. Oh shit. Let me hit the four car. Um, it's not necessarily the case at all, but just to kind of kick the thing off here with Harvick on when the race dot info is pre-qualifying ranking is ninth out of everyone. And if you look at his last four races at Sonoma, he's got two top fives and three top tens. He's third in average finish and third in driver rating at Sonoma in the last four races. So again, Wiley veterans, knowing what they're doing, being able to go out and consistently get it done. You say, all right, well, you know, Harvick, great. He's an old head. He's good at Sonoma. Great. Cool. What about the last year plus in the next-gen car? His last seven races, he's sixth in average finish on road courses. Two top fives, three top tens, and he's six for seven, finishing in the top 20. So I know top 20s aren't going to get it done for you. You need to be in the top 10, but... It's giving you a shot at this bet. Three for seven, top 10 finishes. He's three for four at Sonoma specifically. It's putting you in position to get it done. Top 10 is minus 121. It's on Barstool right now. And again, another four driver, but just because, you know, they're not winning races doesn't mean they can't finish in the top 10 because they have consistently. So Kevin Harvick is definitely somebody you need to watch. Maybe keep your eyes on a head-to-head. Again, haven't seen a good head-to-head that I like with Harvick involved, but I am definitely keeping my eyes open as the weekend rolls around. I'm predicting Harvick to start maybe like 12th, okay, and then really make it fun for us to try to uh, snag a top 10 with the four car. And uh, we might as well keep it going here. Michael McDowell 
is someone that we have been talking about with road courses, just like Chris Buescher, for years. Like I'm talking like going back to the Roval when that was starting up. We were we were talking about McDowell, and he doesn't necessarily love Sonoma, right? In the last four races at Sonoma, he hasn't been very good, but he was very very good last year. So maybe he's just kind of learning something. He got it done. He finished third after being very consistent throughout the race. And then looking at his last seven races on road courses, he's got a top five finish, four top tens, and six top 15 finishes. He's fifth in average finish out of all of NASCAR. Just really sneaky numbers, right? Because the general casual NASCAR fan is not going into this weekend saying like, oh, can't wait to see where Michael McDowell finishes, right? But the gambler knows he's been good here. And so that's why we're calling attention to him. He's got a lot of momentum coming from last week. He finished top 10, hit that, plus 325 for us last week at Gateway, which is an oval, which is a short track, not necessarily what you'd see Michael McDowell dominating at, but he was holding off some of those big dogs in a track that was really hard to pass. If McDowell can get into that top 10 from qualifying, he's going to be a tough dude to pass, man. And he's plus 125 for a top 10. I was hoping I'd be able to get that at a little bit different number, but still, I got to call it out because we typically bet that most of the time on road courses, unless it's something that's like totally outlandish or he's really starting to fall off. But I like the momentum aspect of it from last week. I like what we saw last year at Sonoma and the last seven races on road courses. It's just too good to pass up. Now, there's something else that got called out on the Twitter show that I had written down here for tonight, and I'm happy it got called out. This is a value play for sure because you can get him plus 125 for a top 10 on Barstool or you don't like that number, you could take him plus 128 in a head-to-head matchup over Daniel Suarez. Clearly, Suarez has the book's attention because he won here last year, but that um, I'm going to call it maybe a bit of a fluky win. He kind of thought that he was going to go on a tear after that. He got over that win, gets that out of the way, and now he's going to light off a bunch of them, right? Not necessarily the case last year. Hasn't really been a world beater so far this season. Looking at the last seven races, McDowell has him beat in head-to-heads five to two. So I need Suarez to prove it. You know, go ahead. I'm going to take the plus money here, plus 128, and I'm going to say to Suarez, go ahead, beat him. You know, let's let's see if he can do it again. So McDowell. Over Suarez, plus 128 is is definitely a value play for a head-to-head matchup. So if you're sick of me talking about Fords, because I really didn't come into this thinking I was going to talk all about Fords, let's move over to a little bit more of a proppy bet, and we'll start talking about some of the big dogs here, because Hendrick is going off at plus 160 to win the race, and Chevy by themselves is minus 160. That's really what I wanted. I was hoping to see them maybe around like minus 115, minus 105. And I would have thought maybe we got a little bit, you know, longer value there because of the fact that Toyota broke broke three. I mean, they've won the, the last two road courses, right? When Chevy went on that tear uh, for a while, then it was Bell at the Roval and now Reddick at Coda earlier this year. I was thinking that that might help us out a little bit and get Chevy at a decent number because we've got Chase and we've got Larson as just, you know, the biggest players here outside of Reddick. And, you know, if you're going to take the minus 160 for Chevy, 
you're going to need to parlay that with something, you know, a little bit different. Maybe you throw that into like a Max Verstappen win this weekend or a Red Bull play of some sort. Uh, but I mean, we've got three of the top like four or five favorites in the race in the Hendrick camp with Byron and then Larson and Elliott. So just Larson and Chase, I mean, they are in super strong race cars running into issues last year. I'll focus on Chase here. I mentioned it earlier. I mean, his car and he was strong enough to go out, serve that penalty for being outside the box on pit road and still finish top 10. I mean, that is just a testament to how strong that car is and how good he is at race road course races. I mean, it's truly unbelievable. Now we've been touting chase for a while here. He had that one year where he was just absolutely unbeatable. And then some more guys started to sneak in, right? Larson started to put his name on things. And now it's Reddick. Who's the hot commodity. Um, Chastain won one and kind of looked like he was going to break off and, and be a guy. So we tout Elliot for being a road course dude and he hasn't gotten a win in a little while now, but you know the fact that we're getting the package deal, it's plus 160 for all of Hendrick, um, the three guys at the top. Byron has just been so consistent this season. He's been fast absolutely everywhere. He finished fifth at Coda. So that all together at plus 160, I you know, would like to see that a little bit better, but I think both of those guys are going to go out and qualify really well, in which case this number will go down to plus 100 or something. So lock me in at plus 160 for Hendrick. The exception there to the rule here is Alex Bowman. Alex Bowman is part of your deal if you take this bet, but I'm taking a little extra, a little sprinkle, a little fall off the truck type bet and throw that on the Bowman, he's 31. He opened at 41. Clearly, people are seeing some value in him. And to me, I want to throw that little sprinkle on Bowman if I'm taking this bet because I would just be beside myself if Bowman was the one that cashed the plus 160 when he's going off at 30 to 1 right now. He finished third at Coda. He beat his teammates. So I like this bet overall because you're getting four really strong drivers a little sprinkle on bowman just to make sure you don't miss out on a big payday if he were to hit um i mean bowman two for four in his for top tens in his last four races at sonoma and all four of these hendrick drivers are in the top seven on the win the race dot info pre-qualifying rankings and we know that hendrick is going to qualify well unless something crazy happens so like that number. I like that stable, you know, Chevy. We haven't talked about anybody. Now we're talking about four different drivers there. I think, you know, you definitely have to stare that in its face because plus 160, I don't think we'll be around on Sunday morning when we're firing up the race. Now, let's switch gears to Toyota a little bit. We talked about Truex as a super long shot to win the race. I'm looking at something a little bit different. We're going to talk about Toyota in a couple different ways here. I'm going to start with Truex, and he's going off at 33 to 1. And Truex, you know, more recently hasn't been very strong at the road courses in the past. Like, in, as he's coming up, he was a, a guy who was able to go out and get it done at Watkins Glen. He's been really good at Sonoma. Right. Truex is second in average finish at Sonoma in the last four races, um, going back to 2018. And, you know, if you throw out Austin Sendrick, 
he's first because Cindric has only raced one time. He finished fifth, so he's kind of skewing the stats a little bit, a little bit juked. Uh, but four races, it's Truax. He's in second overall average finish. He's got two victories and three top five finishes last year in the next-gen car is where he kind of fell off a little bit. But he was very bad off the truck. And if you're looking at his speed by segment, he gained a lot of speed. So that's testament to the team. They kept improving the car and got better with speed. So the value here is if you're able to, you know, get Truex in some capacity earlier in the week, maybe if they're just a little bit faster off the truck, that value kind of, you know, diminishes a little bit and he goes down. And now you, you're sitting on a ticket uh, with those longer odds. So that's what we're hoping for in a bet on Truex. Now, 33 to 1, it's asking a lot. Here's the bet that I'll throw out there to you. Is plus 650 to be the top Toyota. You need something to go wrong with Tyler Reddick in order to make that bet hit. I mean, that's that's really what has to happen. Last year, they were just clearly not good as a manufacturer across all road courses Truex actually hit this bet. He was the top Toyota, and he finished like 24th or something like that. They were all just dog shit. So, you know, keep that in mind as we're getting to this next bet here. But the fact that I'm trying to point out is that it's doable. He did it last year while finishing like shit. And then imagine if he's kind of bounced back, right? He's got that victory under his belt. Toyota's starting to come around. They got a victory at the Roval. They got a victory at Coda. Um, as a manufacturer, that's a little bit of momentum. So, yeah, I mean, Truex, two wins in a top five of the three races previous? Come on, man. That's pretty damn interesting to me. So, plus 650, you know, you're kind of betting against Reddick there, but we'll cover our bases in this next conversation. But I, I, I don't hate that bet at plus two, plus six fifty. So that's the the spiel about Martin Truex. Now let's keep it on Toyota for just a second because you know sometimes you got to think of these bets in silos. All right, we we talked about the reason why we like him in that bet was we're throwing Reddick out the window. Well, now we need Reddick, okay? Because Toyota plus three hundred has my attention. That's on DraftKings as we speak. And on other books, I've now looked at three different books that have shorter odds for that number. All right, plus 285 on one book and plus 250 on two separate books. There's value here just compared to those other books. But you're also looking at Reddick as the favorite at plus 500. This is Toyota plus 300. And you're getting drivers like a Chris Rebell, who has won on road courses before, like a Denny Hamlin, who has been strong here before. Um, I think Hamlin, didn't he get wrecked in like the last turn or something by Stewart years ago um, to, to lose the race? I mean, Hamlin has road course victories. Truex obviously has won here twice. So this is a crew that, if they have maybe turned it around a little bit, could get it done. It's been Chevy for a long time. Toyota won Coda with Reddick. He's clearly the talent that we expected. I was somebody going into Coda like, hey, he's got to prove it, right? Because Toyota was absolute garbage last year on road courses. We'll see if it was Chevy that was giving Reddick that love or is it actually his talent? And it's his talent. So really good stuff from Tyler Reddick. So plus 500, I'll take the plus 300 uh, gladly with a little bit of insurance from some of his buddies there in that stable. So that's the bet there for Toyota plus 300. Talked a little bit about that on the Twitter show as well, but wanted to throw that out there to you. So now we're just having some fun. 
Um, throwing in some of the you know different bets here. Kyle Larson pole bet. Uh, our guy SC brought this up on the the live show, and he was saying that this is too short for him. I agree. Uh, the number is plus two fifty to win the pole for Kyle Larson, and I agree that plus two fifty is ridiculous to take on a pole bet. The other side of me says. I kind of feel like I need to because it's going to happen, right? If you look back, Kyle Larson has won five straight poles at this racetrack. I mean, that's insanity. That's crazy. Only two of them were when he was driving the five car. Three of them were with the 42. And it didn't benefit him, you know, being on the pole in those races because the 42 machine just wasn't strong he didn't even really lead that many laps um but that's another reason i think kind of a counter circle here going back to saying that's why you kind of have to take him to win the the pole because in a race car in the 42 that wasn't strong enough to lead many laps from the pole he somehow was able to rip off a fast ass lap and snag it so imagine you know continuing that trend in the five car he's done it twice already 2022 season and 2021 i mean last year i remember having this conversation like yeah it's just going to be larson elliott and sure enough that's what they they did one two and so he went out and led a bunch of laps and you know really feels as if it's got to be a a must bet because it's just that's what's going to happen it's like betting the sun gonna rise it feels like so plus 250 obviously horrible odds for the gambler but at the same time, is the sun going to come up tomorrow? Yeah. All right. Well, if I can get 250 on the sun rising, I'll take it. So that's where my mind's at. I know I'm kind of making a joke about it, but it's it's a conundrum. It really is. And I feel uh, kind of caught in that. Now, if you thought that that was crazy, I'm, this is me just talking into the microphone and seeing what comes back. But I, I'm seeing value here. Not value. I'm seeing numbers out there on guys that last year we saw some sneaky wonky top 10 finishes on road courses last year and a couple of them were consistent so uh we saw a couple from todd gillen and one or two decent finishes from harrison burton both of those guys i have faded heavily okay but we're seeing like plus 1000 for burton for a top 10 we're also seeing plus 750 for zane smith who's driving that 38 car that gillen wheeled to a couple top 10s last year on road courses and zane you could actually argue has a better grip on it i mean they've been to sonoma in the truck series uh whereas you know some of these guys coming up from xfinity if he was doing that he wouldn't have that experience so plus 750 there this is me just kind of riffing i mean is there going to be a guy who gets a wonky finish Probably. So who's that going to be? I mean, I can remember last year thinking, you know, at Indy Road Course and and Sonoma even, you know, some of these guys are like, what the hell's going on here? Um, So just having a a little fun there. It just seems like a top 10 race to me. Right. So that's putting the cap on it. Uh, I'm getting way outlandish. Maybe I've had too much wine tonight. But the, the point is, I'm not telling you to take those guys. I'm just saying the fact is we've seen some wonky finishes in the top 10 on road courses and even at this track 
So will we see that again this week? I don't know. With the no stage breaks, it might kind of make that harder for those guys to be able to get track position enough to do that because you're really going to have to good qualifying effort to make that deal. But um, still fun to think about and really capping off the point of little skittish on the outright picks. If you're going to take an outright this week, I think it's got to be someone way down the list, like a 30 to one, like a 33 to one, you know, Blaney, for example. I mean, I mentioned him as a head to head matchup. You can get him at 33 to one. Like he's just someone who's been super consistent this week or this year. So those are guys. If you're trying to take outrights early in the week, look for the guys down the list. And then as practice and qualifying happens, if Larson puts it on the pole, you know, his number drops to maybe plus 300. Okay. You know, now I'll entertain because I know you got what you got and um, makes me feel more comfortable. But this point in the week, you take Blaney 33 to one. He's going off at 18 to one on race day because he put uh, did really well in qualifying. Cool. You know, you got yourself a, a good little ticket there. So that's my mindset. Uh, but mostly I'm looking at top tens and that's uh, what my card will be focused around with some head to heads sprinkled in there when we can see them. So a little bit different way to approach the betting aspect of the podcast this week. I hope it was easier to follow. Um, and you know, you like it, don't like it. Give me some feedback. Let me know how you did, uh, following along and hopefully everything made sense. All right. So that music typically means we got a little extra to the podcast and we've got it Phil's fired up this week. I mean, I am absolutely fired up and it's in a little bit different sports world. We're in the golf world this week, but trust me, I am going to relate this conversation to NASCAR in a couple different ways. Okay. Uh, but for starters, I'm not a golf expert. So please, you know, if you don't like my opinions here, don't take it out on me too hard. You know, if you want anything golf related, gambling wise, especially you, you give our friends at flag hunting pod a listen at Chris and Ian, those guys are the golf guys for sure. Uh, but I am commenting this week on the news from yesterday that the PGA Tour is going to be merging with the Live Golf Tour. Okay. And I'm going to start by saying that if you are a NASCAR fan like me, we typically are a little rough, right, on our governing body. NASCAR, you know, there, there's always something that we're bitching about. And I think that's natural as sports fans, right? Oh, you know, the tires at this track are terrible. The schedule changed. You know, why are we even going there? Chicago road course, that's a disaster. This next-gen car stinks. What's NASCAR doing? How are they not suspending this guy? Why are they suspending this guy? This penalty doesn't make sense. Blah, 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 blah. It's all fine, right? They're a governing body. We've got fans that care so much about the sport. We're going to chirp them. We're going to complain about them. That's just natural. But the thing is, it's all related to the product, okay? And there has been, like, if you think NASCAR has it bad, you need to pay attention to what's going on over in the PGA because a new low has been set for leader of a sport, commissioner, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, Roger Goodell's evil, Gary Bettman's a piece of shit in the NHL, you know, 
NASCAR's got a, a group that j- is just terrible. No, 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 no. We can't, you know, we, we complain, but it's out of love, I think, for the most part, right? Because we care about the product of the track and we want to see the best thing. But at its core, NASCAR isn't, for the lack of a better word, you know, a buffoon, okay? It's not a joke, um, just totally inept because there's reasons for the stuff that they do. The Live Golf PGA stuff just has me looking at NASCAR in a different way, saying like, man, thank God we don't have that guy. And that guy's name is Jay Monahan. Okay, this is the, the CEO, I guess, of the PGA, the guy who runs the tour. And I'll give some quick background here because it's kind of part of the conversation. Maybe you're not a golf fan um, or maybe you're just enjoying the drama here and you'll be entertained by a quick recap down memory lane. But a year ago, we had a new tour led by Greg Norman, the shark. He got some backing from the Saudi American, excuse me, the Saudi Arabian government in the Public Investment Fund. That's the name of the the group that has got all the money. And they started offering golfers just absurd amounts of money to come play in this new tour, which is less golf. It's only three rounds in a tournament and there's less tournaments and you're getting paid, you know, astronomical sums of money to do it. So there's obviously problems that are arising from that on surface value or surface level, like the fact that where's this money coming from? Well, it essentially is blood money. It's not good people uh, really where this money is coming from, but they have just endless amounts of it. So as will happen after a lot of conversation, they, you know, got Phil Mickelson on board and then he started, you know, kind of preaching in that vein Got Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau, like some of the biggest names in golf. Cam Smith wins the British Open, goes over to the Live Tour. I mean, it was really interesting to see those dominoes fall. And the reason why I'm going back into memory lane like that is because I have to find the episode. I know I talked about it. The PGA, I'm trying to collect my thoughts here because I don't have anything written down. I'm just kind of riffing. The PGA from the get-go, made the wrong decision every chance they got, okay? When Liv announced that they were doing this, the right decision for the PGA, and I said this to anyone that would listen, and I know I said it on the podcast, the PGA, all they had to do was just shut the fuck up and let it happen, right? Okay, Brooks, you want to go and... Go play for the Saudis. Fine. You want to go play on live? Fine. You know, good luck, man. man. Don't let the door hit you on the ass, but like, go ahead. See ya. All right. Thanks for, you know, we'll see you around the bend. Okay. But instead, they acted as if they were scorned lovers. They immediately went super sensitive, started just causing a ruckus saying how anyone that plays for this is blood money, Saudi Arabian government's evil, despite the fact that the PGA Tour has an event there, you know, we won't get into that. Um, Just blood money, 9-11 victims, families, you know, let's rile them up. So they did. They got their families like backing the PGA and like coming and doing protests and just really hitting the, the heartstrings. And I'm not saying 
that it's the right thing to take the money of the PIF. But at the same time, why are you doing this? Right. Going into how the PGA Tour is legacy and it's everything. And what did they say? Right. So that's a bad decision just to say that stuff. But then the other visceral knee jerk reaction that they did was said, fine. You know what? You're going. You're banned. You're banned from the PGA Tour forever. Well, just an absolute bitch move by Jay Monahan. Bitch. And I said that at the time. And the analogy they made then, I'll make now. They acted the same way that taxis acted when we had a disruptor in the transportation game with Uber. Okay, when Uber came along, taxis kind of dismissed them and said, like, this is a joke. This is illegal. You know, why would anyone do this? Go, like, just throw them in jail. They shouldn't be doing this. We're, you know, we're taxis. No one's going to take us down. We have, we've been around forever. Well, I had said at the time, you see how that panned out for taxi drivers, right? Because I Ubered yesterday. I've taken one taxi ride in the last five years, okay? Disruption in a market is a good thing. And that's what Live was doing. They were saying, hey, we're going to bring a team golf element to it. It's a different product. We are going to do something different. And yes, the funding is questionable. That's not the argument here. The argument is how the PGA Tour handled it. And they took every step the wrong direction, in my opinion. And now here we are a year later, a year later, and the PGA announces that they are merging with the PIF and Live Golf, and they will now be under one umbrella. Okay. Did I think that that Uber analogy was going to you know, play out? Yes. Did I think it was going to be one year later? No. The fastest that could ever happen. And they are all under one umbrella. The PGA Tour is still like kind of pulling the strings on the way things go here. As far as the the product on the golf course, it seems like uh, Jay Monahan is still the CEO for now on this whole deal. But they are now a for-profit product and they needed a jumpstart of funds to get this going. And you know where that is coming from? The PIF. Absolute hypocrites, absolute trash, absolute scum of the earth. You could call Phil Mickelson scum for taking the money. You could call Brooks and, and all those guys scum if you want, right? That's fine if you feel that way about the situation. But the worst human is the one who riled everyone up, riled up 9-11 families, riled up Americans, got the PGA fanboys buzzing, had everyone pearl clutching over the fact that, oh, it's Saudi money. Oh, my God. And then took it himself. Didn't say a word to the players. All last year, he had Rory McIlroy as his little puppet. Anybody who watches Full Swing saw this as well. You know, you don't have to be a golf fan to get into the, the Netflix docs and, and those sorts of things. And he had Rory as his little puppet waving the PGA banner. Colin Morikawa, fuck you too. Like just, oh, you know, PGA is all about legacy and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, we don't agree with what they're doing over there and live. All they're doing is just having a different product. That's it. 
Um, but instead, they they fought that fight for the PGA, for Jay Monahan, and then he goes and does this. After a year of saying, this is a player's tour. We're for the players. You know, we back the players. Did this deal in the middle of the night. It's like the Browns moving to Baltimore, man. Just fleeced the whole goddamn lot of them. Didn't tell Rory, didn't tell Tiger. Just absolute garbage human beings. Now, in the long run, these players are going to make more money, right? So this guy is going to go down in history as like the biggest fucking hypocrite in the world in the sports industry. But, you know, in the long run, it's definitely going to be better for these guys. It's just now it's Saudi money. So Rory, you know, he had his little press conference today. Still can't come around to the idea that, you know, disruption in a market is better. Um, still saying, I hate live. I hate live. Like, wow, you little crybaby. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. You lost. Like you lost. You're now under the same umbrella. You, you didn't take the money. One of the deals that went down with this merger is these guys were suing the shit out of each other. Live golfers were suing and PGA was suing live. And part of this deal is that all of that litigation goes away. Okay. All of the lawsuits end. Imagine if you are a golfer, Let's not even go with like Rory or like one of the guys like that. Let's just go with like a soft-spoken guy like Hideki Matsuyama, okay? Offered $400 million, generational wealth, family-changing money, okay? He, being that guy that he is, just kind of quiet, going about his business, gives in to the fear-mongering of the PGA and Jay Monahan and Rory McIlroy and, you know, gives in to the whole legacy and it's you know, blood money conversation and doesn't take it. How are you not suing the shit out of Jay Monahan and the PGA at this point? Right? Because that money's gone now. You're not getting it now. Let's like how about Sam Burns? He was offered like a hundred mil. I don't even know who that guy is, right? I'm not a golfer fan like that. He was offered a hundred mil. Like that dude, what? So how are there not going to be more lawsuits? And, and Rory in his press conference today kind of agreed. Like, yeah, I'd be pissed. I don't know how that's not going to end up in an ugly way. So horrible situation was right all along that the disruptor usually wins in this sort of thing. We need, disruption's good. You know, it causes you to look at things a little bit differently. Team golf, there's something there to it, Right. Not saying that the ratings are off the books for Liv. I'm not a Liv fanboy. It was more so I've just hated the way that the PGA handled the situation, taking their ball, going home, trying to ban them from the majors. Like, how do you have any say in the majors? Of course, the majors came out like soon after. I'm like, uh, no, they're not banned. And then all the majors did the same. But, you know, just absolute craziness. And then all the righteousness, all of the, you know, just high-flying stuff, goes away as soon as they see a number that blows their doors off. Just like what happened to the golfers that they were ridiculing over the past year. Just makes your stomach turn how horrible of a human being you have to be to flip-flop like that. Um, now, let me bring this back here. We'll, we'll land this plane as it relates to NASCAR again. Because there's something big here that's happening. And I'm going to use another analogy here. All right, let's go back. This is a gambling podcast, obviously. And you're listening to this because it's just another podcast, right? It's, it's something you're interested in. It's fun. It's exciting. We got a race this weekend that we're betting on and it's fun. We got a community that we, you know, riff off of each other and this is great. Let's go back 
15, 20 years, okay, gambling was looked at as, you know, a, a degenerate. A degenerate, we say that now is like kind of a, you know, term of endearment just to joke around, but like scum of the earth. There's a movie called Two for the Money with Al Pacino and Matthew McConaughey. McConaughey is like an ex-player, ex-football player, hurts himself, and he goes on Pacino's show to give out picks, okay? The way they portray the callers of that show is like gum on the bottom of society's shoe, right? That's the way the world looked at gambling back then, all right? Now, we know. You turn on any commercial, and it's a sportsbook commercial. You watch any game. They're talking about the odds that moment in the game. doesn't matter what sport it is. Professional sports took hard stances on gambling back in the mid-2010s. you know, 2010s. And now we've got sportsbooks in bed with two of the big four leagues in the world. So... The point I'm trying to make here is you take a subject like gambling, which was so frowned upon. So, oh, Billy took the, the Celtics minus six and a half. What's wrong with him? Does he did his family leave him? Like that was the mentality to, yeah, I'm sitting around on the couch and I just took the Phillies money line. Who gives a shit, right? It's accepted now. Take that and apply that mindset to this Saudi money. What we just saw on Tuesday, is the start of that acceptance. Because what we're going to see in the near future, if they got to golf, right, kind of the most like royal, like preppy, clean, pristine, like image, right, the PGA Tour, if they got in with them and flipped them, especially after that huge fear-mongering campaign they put on last year, the door is open now. American sports leagues will be susceptible to this. And this pearl clutching that's been going on with the Saudi Muddy is going to go the same route that gambling overall went through. In 20 years, no one's going to care, right? If you're someone out there who was defending the PGA because of the negativity of where this money's coming from and how it's evil, you're right. Like you're, you're in the right to feel that way in 20 years. It's not going to be that way. No one's going to blink an eye. And you're telling me that Roger Goodell and the owners of the NFL aren't just licking their chops to get to some of this money, the, the PIF and whatever organization that's in and around that they, without a doubt are using golf as that gateway drug into American sports. They're already involved in other sports around the world. Pretty sure they're involved in F1. So let's loop it in a NASCAR, right? Forget about football and, and the rest of them. NASCAR, right? You say, all right, well, NASCAR's got like the most nationalism out of everyone, right? We're going we're gonna to stand up to this. Let's take a team like Rick Ware Racing. PIF approaches them next year, start 2024, and says, hey, Rick Ware Racing, we'll give you a billion dollars. Go win some races. <laughs> you think Rick Ware Racing is going to turn that down? Absolutely not. The precedence has been set. The hurdle has been cleared by the PGA. Rick Ware Racing is just going to be like, I've been at this for a long time now, man. If I can get some extra uh, equipment, some more uh, 
prep time, some more better drivers, better crew, better overall everything, more sim time, more everything. They're going to take that. They've been uh, the backmarkers forever. Now they're funded, fully funded, the most funded. NASCAR cries poor more than any professional sport. You're telling me that they're not going to take that money when it's approached, just like the PGA did? It's coming. It is coming. And it's not might not be next year, might not be five years, but the point that I'm making is the hurdle has been cleared. The tough part is over, in their opinion, the PIFs. And we will not be looking at this the same way we are now as such a negative connotation. And that's just the, that's the way of the world. Money changes everything for good, for bad, whatever. Um, so get ready because if you don't like the sound of that, it's coming to your favorite sport near you. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. And if you disagree with me, I'd love to hear you because I don't see the other side of it. So the, the faucet is on. And I don't know how anyone, unless there's like legal, like government involvement, I don't see how that faucet is turned off. So, whew, man, that's the, that's the Phil's fired up. I hope, um, you know, anyone who is a huge PGA J Monahan fanboy isn't too pissed at me where they unsubscribe and uh, we'll, we'll take it from there. So we're off. Next week, NASCAR is off. All the series are off. The week after that, I will be away on Nantucket on vacation with my family. I am bringing my laptop. I am bringing my notes. Plan on trying to get some stuff out there. Um, haven't let vacation stop me before. Even if it might not be a full-blown episode, I still plan on putting something out there while on vacation. So um, got to keep that muscle going. So look for me in a couple weeks with a new episode from Vancation. So, um, so that'll do it for another episode of the Full Tank with Phil podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening through the rant. And good luck this weekend at Sonoma Wine Country. Go out this weekend. Even if you don't drink wine, you know, get a good bottle of red. If you need a recommendation, let me know. I'll, I'll give you something good. And um, we'll have a good weekend at Sonoma. And we'll see you in a couple weeks for Nashville. Remember, drive fast, take chances.